And when you sell one thing to one kind of, one kind of person, you can get, get the pricing right, which means mm-hmm. that you have the money to pay the people to do what Dean's talking about, right? If you, if you don't get, if you're quoting all this different kind of stuff to different types of people, you often get the scope creep that takes your profit away. That means you can't bring in experts that are better at the things that you're talking about than you are. And that's how you get sucked into constantly putting out fires in all your different projects. So I think if you follow it all the way upstream from a marketing perspective, if you make the marketing decision to sell one thing to one kind of person, it makes everything else that we just talked about a lot easier. You're listening to the B2B Growth Think Tank, the show that brings you the virtual hot seat where each week my expert guests and I help another business leader by masterminding actionable solutions to a specific challenge they're currently trying to solve in their business. So if you're looking for answers to a specific challenge that you're facing, that if you could solve in the next 90 days would have a huge impact on your growth, send it in to thinktank at thinklikeafish.co.uk and we'll see if we can feature you on the show. My name is Adam King, your host and the captain of the ship at growth consultancy Think Like a Fish. And if you're ready to rethink what's possible for your business and discover the growth strategies, advice and insight to turn this new vision into a reality, let's get started. Well, hello and welcome to the B2B Growth Think Tank. And this is the second live virtual hot seat panel session that we've done. So um, if you're watching here live, welcome. If you're watching the replay, welcome. If you're listening to the podcast in the future, welcome. I hope you're well. I hope things are going great with you. So what we are going to do on this episode today is I have three esteemed and equally handsome guests that have their own unique expertise when it comes to business growth. And what we're going to be doing is brainstorming some actionable ideas to basically help solve somebody's real actual business challenge that they have going on in their business right now. And this is a challenge that they may have, but it's also potentially an opportunity that they have in front of them that they're looking to maximize. So I've had quite a few interesting challenges coming in and I have selected a handful that I have uh, queued up ready to go. But if you are here live, feel free to try and jump that queue by putting in the, uh, the the challenge that you're facing or the opportunity you want to maximize into the uh, into the chat in the comments right now as we are going through. And also, if you're listening to this in the future and uh, you, you have a challenge or you find yourself with a challenge or an opportunity you want to maximize, you can always send it in to me at um, thinktank at thinklikeafish.co.uk and I will look to get it on the show. And I always trip over that email address and I didn't obviously think about putting think tank, think like a fish, all in one thing. But there we go. So if you're sending that in, sort of frame it around the uh, the answer to this sort of question. What challenge are you facing in your business right now? That if you could solve it in the next 90 days, would have the biggest impact on your growth. And as I say, I may well be able to help you on a future episode. Now, before we dive in, I just want to make a little announcement about a um, a new resource that I have recently um uh, released essentially. So, uh, what this is, you can see on there, it's, um, it's a revenue It's called I'm calling it the revenue multiplier calculator. And there's a, a training that goes with it. Now with this resource, with this calculator, you will essentially be able to discover how to uncover the hidden revenue opportunities in your business and use this to systemize your growth using what I've, what I call seven revenue multipliers in your business that can double that business in 12 months or less. So seriously, this is one of my client's favorite tools because 
it will save you a ton of wasted time, effort, and all that kind of thing, because you will know how to pinpoint the areas of your business that needs either the most attention or is offering the, the you the biggest leverage points. So seriously powerful and truly transformational. So you can grab your copy at thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash calculator. So anyway, enough of that, enough of me rambling, because I am sure that you are itching to hear from uh, those esteemed and equally handsome guests. So I'm going to bring them on in order. So let's welcome Matt Johnson, Dean Soto, and Byron Morrison. How are you doing, guys? Excellent. Hey, excited to be here. Good stuff. Now, you may, if you are a regular listener to the show, you may recognize uh, a couple of the guys. Matt and Dean have been on, um, well, back when it was the Client Catching Podcast. So Matt was back on episode 26 when we were talking about how to build strategic relationships and create authority with podcasts. And Dean was on episode 21, how to 10x your business by firing yourself. And Byron is a first-time guest. So I am excited to welcome back a couple of my favorite guests and also to welcome a, uh, a new guest to the uh, to the ecosystem that is the B2B growth think tank. So what I want to do quickly is go around and um, just sort of get the uh, reminder of who the guys are, um, what they do, and what kind of problem they solve, and really what they're working on right now that is the most exciting. So why don't we start with our new boy, Byron. Hey, so yeah, like you said, I'm Byron Morrison, and I'm an author, speaker, and a mindset and high performance coach. And essentially what I do is CEOs and business leaders really take back control of their role by evolving them into a more confident, grounded, and effective decision-making leader who can handle all of the pressures that come with running and growing a business. And as for what I'm working on right now, the one thing I'm really excited about is next Tuesday, I'm releasing my new book, The Effective CEO. So that's essentially take up the last kind of couple months of my time writing, editing, putting it all together, which has been so much fun. But a lot of hard work as well. Awesome. I mean, how long does it take you to write the book? Because uh, oh, I know Matt, uh, you've written a book, Dean's written a book. So interesting to know sort of how long you've been working on it. This one, to be honest, I've only been working on for about three months, but my previous book took about a year and a half. So it was definitely a very different size project. And this one was a lot more condensed, which... I did intentionally because I think it's really easy when you're writing your first book to try and cram everything in and mm. overdo it. And yeah, my first book was just like an encyclopedia, which was just ridiculous. So <laughs> I learned the lessons there. Good stuff. And 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 because I can see Matt, your book in the uh, in the background, I'm gonna I'm gonna come on to you. Just remind everyone who you are, problem you solve, and what you're working on at the moment. So Matt Johnson, author of Microfamous and agency founder. So what we do in the agency is launch and produce podcasts for business coaches, consultants, speaker, author types. So people that are experts in their field, uh, a lot in the real estate, mortgage, financial services, that kind of professional services kind of area. Uh, and then I do podcasting. So host the Microfamous podcast and, uh, and appear regularly on other podcasts such as This Esteemed Show uh, and others like it. Absolutely. Fantastic. And And I was... Lucky enough to uh, to come on to the uh, the, the microphone podcast um, a well it was probably a month or so ago now but uh, that was good fun and um, yeah it's uh, definitely one to check out if you're uh, interested in um, yeah the whole microfamous and and you and I are fellow introverts and yes. what I love about what you do is that whole sort of focus on the fact that you do not have to be that kind of selfie taking extrovert that is just all about shouting and you know and that's not to put a downer on, on extroverts, you know, 
we love you. We do. Yes. But at the same time, that's just but we can't us. be so, you. We love exactly. you, but we can't be exactly. you. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, um, yeah, definitely check out that and the microphone's book. So, Dean, that's a hey. awesome green screen you've got behind you. Yeah, it's funny. I tried to set up my, I usually have like an awesome looking office back here. And now I'm like, oh, uh, they, they caught me. They, they see right through me. <laughs> well, well, what people probably won't realize is that behind that green screen is your seven kids causing mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. I think uh, since the last time uh, I was on your podcast, uh, you have an eighth kid. So, so oh my God. Up to eight. That's how it's. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, Lord, you could fill an entire baseball team just with your family. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when you aren't, um, you know, in the baby factory, what is it that you're, what you, what, what do you focus on, Dean? Yeah. So, I'm, uh, so I'm the owner of ProSulum. And basically, what we are is we have what we call virtual systems architects. Where did that name come from? It came from Mr. Adam over here. I, I, I was actually his client and he had this uh, great idea. I have these virtual assistants who have this superpower where you could show them how to do something in five minutes on a video or less. And they'll document everything step by step with pictures and everything like that. So you're spending five minutes on a task. They document it and you never have to do that task ever again. And they take it off your hands forever. So and you do one a month. You'll have 30 different tasks that you never have to do ever. Yeah. And, and it is awesome. You know, if, you know, and, and especially coming on to uh, some of the challenges that I think that uh, we'll be covering, it's, it's literally, it can be transformational in a business when you literally take off so much of the stuff off your plate. And the, the beauty is that you only have to show someone how to do it once they literally systemize it. It's not like a normal virtual assistant. They are trained in actually creating the process in the systems and everything behind it. So definitely check out, um, you know, what, uh, what, what Dean does because it is absolutely amazing. So what I want to, what I want to do is basically come on to the first of the virtual hot seat challenges today. So what I'm going to do is bring up, um, uh, and again, this, this sort of flows on nicely a little bit from uh, what you just sort of covered there, Dean. But what I'm going to do is, um, is, is read out um, essentially what, uh, what they are. So this is an abbreviated version that you can see on the screen, but the full version is I run an IT consultancy and we've experienced a booming growth over the last nine months, which I'm obviously not complaining about. The challenge is that while I have a small team, both achieving and sustaining this growth is very dependent on me. Basically, I'm the bottleneck as most of our work comes from my relationships. And when it comes to delivery, I also have the widest range of skills and experience that my team don't. So I'm often pulled into projects to make up the difference. And this is happening across almost every account. And it feels like my mental bandwidth is totally maxed because I don't know or have the time to work out how to change this. How can I maintain this growth when most of the burden lies within me? So. I would actually like, even though um, the, you know, it sounds like a real systems answer. I heard a little bit of a mindset issue here. So I want to start with Byron to see what you would say about this first off. So for me personally, I see this challenge in a lot of businesses because I work with a lot of kind of CEOs who've taken an idea to market, they've grown it, and then things are starting to explode. The problem is with every new level of success comes a new level of problems. Because like you're experiencing with this guy, on top of growing the business, he then has teams, he has projects to deliver, he has all of these responsibilities. And the reality is there's only so many minutes in the day. 
So this is why I would really challenge him to sit down and really audit what he's actually doing with his time. Because if he's only one person, there's only so much he's going to be able to get done. So he really needs to figure out what's going to be his zone of genius. What are the biggest levers in his business that really drive them forward that only he can do? Because while he's talking about various projects and issues he needs to do with his team and everything else, he has to figure out which of those are actually the most important. Because once he knows that, then he can really start breaking them down and thinking, who can he delegate this to? What elements can he outsource? What systems can he put in place? Whereas trying to do everything, that's why he's struggling with bandwidth, because it's going to leave him scattered, bouncing around from one thing to the next. And a big part of this, like you said, is a mindset issue. It's really doing that inner deep work to really uncover why hasn't he let it go? Is there some perfectionism in there? Is there an issue of not trusting his team? Which on a deeper level, I would then even question, has he hired the right people? Because why does he have them around if he's not letting it go? And then mm. for the tasks that he recognizes are important, but don't necessarily need to be done by him, then taking the time to train them up. And yeah, like you said, for me, it's really about being honest with the mindset hole behind it of what does he actually need to do? What's in that zone of genius? And how can he then remove himself from everything else before then going into the systems? Yeah, I think that um, I heard that, I guess it's it's something that we all face when when we sort of start a business especially a service business around an expertise or a skill the whole superhero syndrome is kind of like you know i have to do it um i'm and and that's something that you have to learn to sort of just let go let go of and sometimes the only way you can do it is by ripping off a band-aid but i also hear something that he wasn't prepared for this growth he hadn't set himself up for this growth because it almost sounds like it came as a bit of surprise. So he's probably dealing mentally with that growth and the success that is coming with it. But also he's probably still, because he's holding on to it potentially, he's probably still thinking, is this sustainable? Is this just yeah. a, you know, something that's, that's happening, but I don't know necessarily how to repeat it or, or anything like that, which I think is very real um, because you can experience it. But then it's like, well, when is the, uh, when's the party going to end? And, and when am I going to come back down the other end? I think there is something there potentially. But when it comes to actually thinking about a practical side of things or a systematic way of, of sort of maybe removing yourself of the bottleneck, Dean, you are the expert on this. Like this is, this is your wheelhouse. So what would you sort of think about saying to someone in this sort of situation? Yeah, I think, I mean, first off, Byron's like spot on. Like a, lot of the, a lot of the times in this situation, um, I found that it's huge mindset and the biggest differentiator is, um, it, it, this happens with a lot of creatives, especially, um, uh, and, and while this might not seem like a creative agency, like it consulting agency, it really is. Cause you're just, you're building, you're architecting different projects and there's a lot that's, that's involved. And what happens with, uh, people who are in the leadership position, they, they, they feel like, Hey, I've went to school for all of this. I have all this knowledge. I have all, like I did all these things. There's no way that I can actually turn something. There's no process here. It's all creativity or whatever. But when you really look deeper into what is actually happening is sure. There's, there is the creative aspect of here's how we're going to architect something. Here's how we're going to do this project and so on and so forth. But 
the actual pieces are process. Um, so for, for example, um, you know, we have, we have, uh, clients who, uh, are in like the, the restaurant they're they're in the restaurant food industry they're building up these franchises they're brand brand new but they want to get into franchising and you know you have them saying well they're 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 architecting how they want their store to work inside uh, uh inside the actual restaurant and so on and so forth um that's all created by the per, by the owner the feel the culture everything like that but once that's done just like a like a Monet or a or or, or a, you know a Picasso, you can actually once the painting's done, you can actually have a process to to step by step show exactly like literally each brush stroke how to create that same exact painting. The initial one percent of the creativity is on the owner, but the process mm. that uh, is is can be done by somebody else. And in fact, there's, there's places in China right now where you can get a Monet, an original hand-painted Monet by somewhere else. It is literally a, a line. I have a picture of a guy doing the exact same thing uh, uh, in a line with different Monets. And it's, it's really a, a, a step-by-step process. So document and being able to document once the thing's created. So for example, when someone's coming in with, Hey, Hey boss, you know, uh, I have this question or whatever. Well, what is the process to answer that question so that you never have to do that again and document yeah. that? Yeah. And, and I think some of the challenge potentially comes because if my assumption of this person not being prepared for growth, he wouldn't necessarily been able to actually think about some of that stuff before it happens. So he's kind of now reacting and that's, that's what we do. Um, you know, growth is nice when it happens, but it also brings with its, you know, with it, with its own set of uh, new challenges. And I think that by not being prepared, maybe it doesn't allow you to really consider the next part of your business or the next level of your business and be able to actually either think about what that culture is or think about what is it that I want to be known for? What is it that I want to do for my clients? What is it? Because if you're IT services, I mean, that covers a whole range, but is there something specific? And the more you do something specific, the better you get at it and you can build repeatable processes around it. It may well mean looking into your business and actually finding some of the things that are less profitable, the things that are not actually working as well for the client and actually reducing some of that first before you can free up some of your time. And that's, that's something that exists in Lots and lots of service businesses. I know agencies are very, very prone to it. And and Matt, do you have any experience along a similar sort of line when it comes to that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes consulting firms and agencies make alike is selling too many different things to too many different types of people. So I had a really good model in my life that straightened me, that disabused me of any notion of doing that. But even I got off track when I first started my own thing and I got caught in that freelancer trap for a while. So the the agency that I used to work for sold one thing to one type of person. And that's where I eventually came around to. And by following, uh, like starting with that as my starting point, selling one thing to one type of person, then I was able to follow some of the things that Byron and Dean have talked about, the mindset stuff of getting in touch with my superpowers and the systemization stuff. But those things wouldn't have worked as well. And it wouldn't have resulted in an agency that I run in four hours a week 
if it hadn't been for the fact that I restricted myself to selling one thing to one kind of person. And then that may not be your goal. If you're building a company to sell, like, look, you take all the growth you can and you make it look as great as you can on paper. And then you get the hell out of there. But if you're building a business that you want to enjoy, that will fuel your lifestyle, I think selling one thing to one kind of person is the key to a lot of that because then downstream, it makes everything else easier. You know, once you figure out your superpowers, you can easily way more easily offload everything else because you're doing one thing over and over and over again. And so if you make that decision to sell one thing to one kind of person in that kind of environment, you can follow Dean's process and start getting things steadily off your plate. And you can more and more focus on your superpowers like Brian talked about. And those things will actually start to pay off a lot faster if you're not then turning around and selling a new and different type of package to a different type of client that you then have to start that process all over again. Mm. And I think where that's where a lot of people get trapped and when you sell one thing to one kind of person, you can get, get the pricing right, which means that you have the money to pay the people to do what Dean's talking about, right? If you if you don't get, if you're quoting all this different kind of stuff to different types of people, you often get the scope creep that takes your profit away. That means you can't bring in experts that are better at the things that you're talking about than you are. And that's how you get sucked into constantly putting out fires in all your different projects. So I think if you follow it all the way upstream from a marketing perspective, if you make the marketing decision to sell one thing to one kind of person, it makes everything else that we just talked about a lot easier. And Absolutely. I was going to add to that, uh, that Matt is not lying. He is ruthless when it comes to that. <laughs> I, I, I tried to refer someone to him uh, a while back. We got on the phone and, uh, and uh, the the person wasn't a good fit, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't think we're a good fit." And 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 so then my my referrer is like, "Well, what about this angle? What about like he's he, the guy was trying so hard, and Matt's like, yeah, it's just not what we do.'" <laughs> I'm like, "Dang, this guy is ruthless when it comes to just being so niched." But you can see, you can actually see in the quality of what he does mm. that 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 is a result of very. Yeah. Very narrow. Well, and, and David Baker's book, The Business of Expertise, set me free from any notion of like going out and, and learning a bunch, like just working with a bunch of people in different industries. He said, look, if you're doing that, you're essentially getting the clients to pay for your learning. And you have to be honest with yourself about that. I'm like, woo, that, that hit me right there. I'm like, well, that's, uh, I, will, I will stay in the industries that I know well. <laughs> yeah. So and, cool. and, and something that, that comes to mind hearing just that, that, that last piece is, is one of the things I think that when we're in this sort of situation and we're sort of dealing with all the fires that are going on around us and all the rest of it, we forget that we're actually in business to serve a client. Yeah. And one of the things that we can actually look at is when we're trying to either figure out how to get out of our own way, stop being the bottleneck, you know, fix our mindset when it comes to how do I solve this problem? One of the things that we can do is actually take ourselves out of the equation and replace it with the client. So it's kind of looking at what is the client journey? Like when somebody comes to you, where are they? What's that first point A? And where by the end of them working with you do they want to be? So that point right. B. And if you can map it along there and look at all those points along that journey, because your client's journey is far wider and longer than the bit that you are going to help them with. But if you can work out what those bits are, you can then get quite specific around the things that you do. You can create your processes that are around, like however many steps you take people through. It could be three, five, nine, 10, whatever it is. But if you can sort of say, right, this is the overall problem that I solve for people. These are the things that we do along the way. Then you realize that you 
your ultimate problem that you solve is made up of smaller problems and you can figure out the things that need to be done. What is the checklist that need to be created along the way exactly. in order to help your client get through that? Because that doesn't just empower the clients and help you get them results and, and help them see that you actually have that process, but it empowers your team and it empowers you as the owner because you can start creating those checklists and those deliverables, which can also become your marketing because the thing that you create to deliver the results of your client can become the thing that you use to attract new clients. There's a bit of a flywheel in there and an effect. And there's so much that you can, you can sort of think about. I always find when you flip it and stop looking at your problem from your perspective. And Byron, do you, do you see that as a mindset thing sometimes that we, we get too sort of, we almost are the bottom. Yeah, we are the bottleneck, but we're the bottleneck when it comes to actually seeing the real problem. Yeah, hundred percent. I was waiting to kind of interrupt you there because I really wanted to hop in and just kind of like going back to Stop the Stop me question. talking at any point, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> just <Yeah>. dive in. <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a relevant kind of point because going back to the original question about this gentleman being the bottleneck in his business, this is something that you look at so many businesses across any industry is such a reoccurring problem where the mindset and psychology of the CEO is directly holding the business back because... Mm-hmm. This isn't just something that's going to happen now. If the business continues to grow, it's going to continue getting worse because with every new level of success, you'll have new responsibilities, new demands, new fires to put out. And for a lot of business owners, that extra pressure of throwing them into the deep end means decisions don't get made, projects get put on hold, opportunities get lost. And that's why going back to what you were talking about before and them figuring out what they need to do, I would take it a different direction and I would really challenge them to think about who do they need to become? Because what made you who you are today and the level of thinking, action, and brain power that got you to where you are right now isn't going to get you to where you want to be tomorrow. And this is why it's really about developing that self-awareness of what does that next level of you look like? If you think of that CEO that you really need to step into who makes better decisions, who influences and leads, who inspires those around them, that's when you can really reverse engineer the journey. And that really, again, coming back to the point, comes down to having that honest conversation of in your business, where are you needed most? Where are the items that only you can deliver on and everything else needs to be removed, whether that means training your team, outsourcing it, delegating it, or potentially even getting rid of it. Because there'll be various tasks that are part of your role and responsibility when you're building the business that may now start having a negative ROI. Um, I'll give you an example with one of the guys I'm working with. He grew his business by primarily going to networking events. It was how he met people and got the word out there. And it was still something years later he was doing, but he dreaded going to it, hated getting up early. And when we really started looking at it on a deeper level, it wasn't actually bringing in any new business because over the last few years, they'd changed their business. They were targeting new clients. They'd automated most of their marketing. So it actually had a negative ROI, but because of his mindset and his habits and behaviors, he was still following through with it. So this is why I would really challenge anyone listening to this to really audit what you're doing. What are the tasks and events and things you're doing every single week? And really being honest, do you actually need to do them? Are they pushing you forward or are they simply a waste of time? And do this on a regular basis and you'll have far more control over what you're doing. And it may, it may well be difficult right now in this moment for this person, but maybe just taking yourself off to somewhere quiet 
with nothing but a, a, a pad and paper and just doing what you've just said there. Like just going through, like, what is it that I'm doing? What is it that is taking up my time? What is it that, and be, this takes brutal honesty, I think, with yourself, which we're not always able to do, which is why, you know, someone like you is also worth having a conversation with, because sometimes you just need that outside perspective to say, right, let's look at everything that you're doing. Let's look at the things that are actually moving the needle and let's look at the things that are holding you back. Because once you actually start to see that in front of you, it can be yeah. quite eye-opening. And so it, I think that that's... I was really involved being brut brutally honest because, yeah, this is something in my new book, I break down the entire process. And I actually did this with a client recently and we removed over 50% of his to-do list just by sitting down and going through and figuring out what's actually important. Does it need to be done by them or can it be given to someone else? So yes, it might take a few minutes to sit down and just really audit, but it can save you hours every single week, mm -hmm. which is going to free you up to then actually focus on the areas of the business to help it grow. Mm, definitely. And, and, and you've just got to sort of ask yourself the question of like, how much is my time worth and how much is freeing up that time going to be worth to the business in the future? Because freeing up five hours, like an hour, an hour a day, five hours a week, that's 20 hours a week. Like what could you do with that 20 hours that is actual revenue generating activity? or at the very least activity that is going to allow you to get your business to the position where it's operationalized to the, to the point where everything is going to run and it's not going to break when you do bring on those new clients in the situation like this. But I think, unfortunately, there's no easy button for this one. I think it really is. You have to take stock of where you are. You have to really consider the things that are important and against things that are urgent and actually actually have that in front of you because unless you do that you don't actually know what you're dealing with so i think there's some fantastically practical ideas in there for that one and um i do hope that it has been valuable so what i want to do is is, is move on to the next one and, uh, and and i'm going to uh select this one so this one has come in and it's all about ideas for moving into a new market or a new segment or something like that so this person's challenge is that we are a financial planning firm that specializes in working with business owners and C-level executives. We've identified a subsector within this list that we'd like to focus on, the legal sector, and there's a, uh, because there's a lot of opportunity and there aren't any competition uh, positioning themselves at this sector in our area. What would you suggest for marketing into this sector? So, Matt, why don't we start with you on this one? What were your first thoughts around this one? Well, I mean, knowing what I know, working with people that are in the professional services space, the financial planning space, it's a, it's a good question for me. So knowing what I know about podcasting, that's, that's what I would do. But it's not just because podcasting is the hammer that drives in every nail. It's because in the world of professional services, especially the legal field, um, a, a credibility is going to be your biggest problem. And so, you know, I talk about in the book how your level of influence in a space rests on three things, authority, visibility, and relationships. And one of the easiest and first things that you can tackle with the podcast is the relationship problem, right? Having relationships with all the influential people in that space. If you start a podcast and you do it well, 
um, you're going to have 25, 30, maybe 40 or more relationships by the end of that first year in podcasting. Mm-hmm. And you can have relationships with all the people that are at the top of that field that all of your you know potential clients are looking up to and respecting. That alone is priceless. Now you top that off with the fact that interview interviewing them publicly is going to make you visible and they're going to turn around and share those interviews. You know, legal is one of those areas where podcasting is not huge in. Uh, there's still plenty of market space. There's all kinds of niches in the legal space for a new podcast. Um, and especially one that's hosted by a financial planning firm. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Mm. Now, one, one thing, Matt, that is interesting, I do know that they do have a podcast, but it's yeah. not focused on the legal sector. So gotcha. it could be something that could be shifted, I guess. Yeah. Ever, right? Sounds like it. I, yeah, I, I was going to say, if they're looking for like capitalize on a new vein of clients that they weren't initially targeting when they first started their podcast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, definitely that's, um, it's, it's worth looking at completely rebranding to go after that. If that's really a sector you want to dive into. Um, I, years and years ago, I took the agency that I used to work for and they wanted to break out of the, their original industry and they wanted to go into four different industries. So instead of launching one show that tried to cover all of them, we did a targeted show branded for each different industry they went into. That was way easier to get guests for. It was way easier to market and it was extremely successful. Uh, And so that's the direction that I would go. Um, At the company level, there's a company called Drift that does this really well. They do corporate podcasting at a high level and each of their podcasts is hosted by somebody different within the organization and is targeted at a completely different uh, part of their niche. So they have a podcast for each segment of the market they're going after. Mm-hmm. That's not something that's, you can build towards that and you can just start with the one that you have. But, uh, if you have multiple niches, you're better off running smaller, extremely niche podcasts for each of those sectors. than you are trying to run like one show that gets all those people. Cause the bottom line is it's getting very, very competitive out there in all niches and podcasts is one of them where you really have to carve out, I would say an audience of no more than 10,000 people. That's part of why I wrote the, the micro famous book was to try to persuade people like stop going after the hundred thousand followers on Instagram. You don't actually need that to build their six or seven figure business. You need 10,000 people in a space that have the money, have the need that you for the problem that you solve, uh, and then just build that audience there and actively repel. <laughs> you talk about Dean, Dean talks about me being ruthless. I actively repel everyone else. I'm not interested in having them in my audience unless they're in that, that niche of 10,000 that I actually want to serve. And, and the good thing about that is as well is it's, it's quite a, a quick way of actually market testing whether this is a sector that you want to go into and mm-hmm. whether the people that you're working, you're potentially going to be working with are going to be the the right kind of clients that you want to work with because yeah. you don't even have to have a podcast published at this point. You can reach out to 5, 10, 15 people that you would potentially see as somebody that you would like to work with and interview them before you've even released anything. And if you get through, you know, two, three, five of those and then quickly realize that, well, this is totally wrong, then you haven't wasted a lot of time. And it's it, it's a great way to do that without having to go the full you know, publishing and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, have you, have you seen people do anything like that with a podcast? I've seen them do it unintentionally. <laughs> uh, I think it's a, I think it's a ninja strategy, but no, most people do it and go, Hey, I'm going to go into this niche and I'm going to be here for five years. And then they realize, no, no, I'm not going to be. And then they stop their podcast. Mm-hmm. So I, if, yeah. I, if I was going to do it intentionally, I would do it as a interview series with a defined endpoint or I'd do a Facebook live series or something on StreamYard like we are now. And I would, I would call it 
an interview series with a defined end if I knew I was using it for market testing. It's a brilliant idea. Most people don't think at that ninja level. Well, that was an accident, but there we go. <laughs> a happy accident to sort of, hey, yes, we all have absolute, those. absolute ninja strategy there straight from the, the, the mind of this weirdo. Anyway, That's right. um, <laughs> Dane, have, have you got experience of sort of um, shifting markets or changing the focus or maybe, maybe it's not even shifting markets because they're going to be still focusing on the same people that they're working with. It's kind of like segmenting off to something a little bit more specific. Yeah. Um, I always grab my cup. I don't know why I do that. I'm going, I like, go, yeah, I got it. And then I put it down. See, he's he's pondering. <laughs> he's, he's gearing up for a very profound, no. wise answer. Yeah. Well, there has got to be strong coffee in there with eight kids. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. The, um, so, so it's interesting. So, uh, on the, on, uh, on my Colby test, I'm a, I'm a quick start, like high level quick start. And, and so, um, this is near and dear to me. It's actually how this, the whole pro saloon business transformed to what it is now. Um, so actually right now, um, we are testing a new market, um, with zero cost. Um, to us, and we've already gotten three um, recurring paying clients. Uh, the the new market is a it, it, for art directors, so VSAs that are also art directors. So they're not designers. There's a little bit, they're, and they're not creative directors. They're right in the middle, so they can build out a, a, a help build out an already existing brand um, mm. uh, without being told you know, exactly this is what you need to do and so on and so forth. So um, the way that that actually happened was um, one, I kept on getting asked by my clients. I just kept, do you guys have a sign? Exactly. (laughs) You know? And so I'm like, no, I was kind of on the mat route. I'm like, no, 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 no. And eventually I'm like, Hey, maybe, maybe let's, let's try it. Let's. And the way that I try, because one of my mentors back in the day, said bolt on don't bounce so bolt on is if you don't bounce to the next thing into the next thing and next thing if it's something that can bolt onto your business then give it a try and see if uh, see if it's going to going to work um so what i do in order to do something like this is i make it easy for i always want to get money quickly and not because I'm greedy. I just want to make sure I want to see if it actually works and then what's involved with it. So what I did with these folks is I, um, one, one particular client, um, uh, who asked, I said, Hey, I'll give you free 30 days. Um, we're experimenting with this. I'll give you free 30 days. If you like the person, then from after 30 days, we'll continue on the next two clients. I actually said, Hey, 30 day money back guarantee. So pay up front. And we'll trust it out. If the, if the art director is not good, then we'll give you all your money. That guarantee makes it, um, it one, we're very upfront saying, hey, we're trying this new thing. You're going to be on the verge. It's actually going to be more expensive for you guys later on, uh, for, for the other clients later on. Um, but we're, we, because we value you so much, we're going to try and uh, try this out, see if it works and if it's a benefit to you. No risk to you. It's all risk on us and so on and so forth. Um, as of now, we have uh, three, so one client who's on the 30 day, he's about to hit his 30 day and he's loving it. And then we have two clients who, uh, one guy who actually, uh, in one of his events got saved um, because one of his, his other designers backed out 
of designing some of the marketing collateral and stuff. And, and he got saved by his art director BSA. So, so all in all, what I'm, what I'm like, what I like to do is make it no risk, try and use and leverage people you already have. Um, this probably came about, I'm guessing in a very similar way, people Mm -hmm. like they have legal, they have, they're, they're doing financial planning for legal people and just say, Hey, um, I'm going to, let's, let's make it a no risk because we want to try this out. So maybe one of the things that you could do is go back to, you know, if making that assumption and assuming it's correct, that if they have people like that, it's like, Hey, we're thinking about making something a little bit more specific for the sector that you operate in. Who else would you know that would be worth having a conversation with to see if, you know, it's, it's the good old referral that's assuming that that actually exists in the business. And I guess uh, uh, sort of following on with that thread of thought, one of the other things that you could do is maybe then finding, you know, I mean, legal sector is a fantastic potential sector because there are groups all over the place, associations, there are qualifications, all that kind of thing. And maybe going to the people that head those up and sort of say, hey, this is what we're thinking of doing. Um, Maybe putting on some kind of like event, you mentioned the word event there, but, you know, some kind of, even if it's an online event, I mean, obviously if it's COVID, can't do live in person but it's like we are going to market test this to a group of people and we're going to make an offer at the end of it yeah and make it super easy to where it's like almost a no-brainer because then that gives you the ability i mean you can bring in money first if you have a guarantee then um then you know if if it all goes well you just you now have a client but if it doesn't then you you know you very easily give it back no harm no foul and then um what i when you do that, it makes it, now you can see what was all involved in doing that whole entire process. And if you want to take it on, if you want to take it on, now you can branch off and start building a brand around it and everything like that as a, as a subset of your business or whatever. But if it's, if it, if it wasn't you, like if it's something where you're like, yeah, I'll just keep them on as one or two clients and they're paying me like month after month or whatever. Um, great. I'll just leave it at, at that. I'm not going to go any further. I just got paid to market test. So mm, definitely. And, and, and Byron, have you, have you sort of come across, um, either, either yourself or, or, or working with a, with a client that is, has been in a similar situation and, and what have you seen? Yeah. The kind of first thing that came to mind would, is if this was me and I wanted to test a new market and I wanted to do it with spending as little money as possible and really kind of re- removing the risk is the thing that came to mind, obviously, if they're going after C-level executives and business owners, LinkedIn would probably be the perfect place to really hone mm-hmm. in and go, taking like a three kind of prong approach of priming mm-hmm. your LinkedIn profile, really positioning yourself as someone who solves that problem, who you're looking for, putting together a series of content, whether it's video or text posts, whatever it may be, talking about their problems, challenges, building trust, and then also using the platform to build up conversations and creating relationships because that could then build into the other ideas of starting a podcast and interviewing people and really positioning yourself as that leader and in a very short period of time you could establish the positioning and also see does it actually resonate are people Mm -hmm. engaging are people wanting to find out more in this day and age with the internet you could set that up you could test it and if it doesn't kind of relate to people you could pretty much just kind of move on without a lot of people would have that kind of fear of oh people are going to see like we're pivoting too much or it's going to look bad 
no one remembers what you're doing. Like no one's really paying that close attention. Mm. So you could really take a few weeks, a few months, whatever it is, jump in, connect with all these people, put yourself out there. And if it connects, amazing. If not, yeah. you've got your evidence and then you can really pivot accordingly. Yeah. And I, I think that there's, there's a couple of other things in there that come to mind as well is that that's the beauty of something like LinkedIn, for example, you can, if, if somebody is going to take ownership within the firm of this sector, then that person becomes the expert. And it's actually something I, I've worked in a, a wealth advisor firm a few years ago. And, and one of the things I remember saying to uh, one of the, uh, uh, one of the advisors and brokers there was, where do you have a affinity already? And he basically used to race go-karts for, you know, championship, you know, uh, go-kart and, and long story short, said to him why don't you focus on the motor industry and become the, the 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 known advisor in that industry and that he sort of went mm, don't know, don't know. i'm don't know. and anyway long story short ended up going that route and just going into the network that he had and all the rest of it and that's where so much of the business came from it was just ridiculous because he had that affinity and it was just quite simple. And one of the other things that comes to mind as well was, was talking about the, the content stuff and trying to figure out the market and all the rest of it. One of the simple things you can do with LinkedIn, the whole point of it is starting conversations, right? So it's, it's looking for, um, it, it's not about looking for business. It's about starting conversations. And one of the things that you could do is just look to target some people and, and invite them to something like this. You know, again, Matt, you said the similar thing. Something like this, and, and you don't have to call it a live stream. It could be behind closed doors, whatever. And, and, and you could call it, um, I don't know, a focus group, a, an executive briefing or something like that, where you're looking to get a handful of people around the table and asking them what they see these going on in the industry, what's happening, et cetera, et cetera, so that you can get a feel for what's going on in, obviously, in the industry with them, understand the challenges and the problems, and then ask them the questions that you want to know the answers to in order to find out whether or not this is the kind of thing and you can you can even in these situations ask them outright if we offered you this would this be something that would interest you like that's the kind of thing that you can do in in these situations and i think that there's there's so much opportunity out there that sometimes we don't necessarily see some of the first steps and one of the first steps is select someone to become the figurehead of this new segment update your linkedin profile and start conversations and then move the moving through the process and i think there's there's a there's a there's a kind of a, there's a journey to go on within that and it is you know where do i start who do i start with when do i make my go no go decision and then when do i sort of really sort of operationalize this in the business and i think that you have to go through that process before you dive in and i think that's why this question was asked and i think it's a very smart question to ask so thank you very much guys for your um for your input and um i am just checking the time but yeah we've got a well, we've got time for another one um so let's have a look at this one and this is a bit more maybe systems focused not sure but this one because I, I i love this question first off because a failure to follow up is a virus that will kill any business that's what i think right and so many of us miss out on the opportunities that exist from following up properly and I'm really glad that this person has noticed it and is now asking how to fix it. But what they're saying is that we're pretty good at getting leads into our pipeline, but we're letting too many of them go cold. I know we need to follow up better and there's a lot of opportunity being lost because of it. The trouble is I'm not really sure the best way to do it. Any ideas? So 
Dean, what, when it comes to follow-up, I mean, there's, there's a lot of options, obviously. You can follow up in multiple different ways. But how do you think about follow-up before you then go and actually do it? Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good one. It's funny because like, uh, I actually had to system. I'm, I'm naturally an introvert as uh, just like you guys. Um, so, so for me, it's, it's actually really hard to follow up on my own. Right. Like I, like, cause I, I always think like I'm interrupting or, or I'm, I feel like I'm kind of getting in, 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 in getting this, uh, what's that called? Like being a pest. Right. Um, so for me, so one of my uh, friends, he's, I would consider him a mentor as well, but he's, he's, we're kind of more peers and friends, a guy named Damon Zariatis. He writes the time chunking method in, uh, on Amazon. It's like one of the top productivity books out there um, on Amazon right now. Um, he, he is so simple. Like he is, he's, he reminds me of Matt. He's very like, just like narrow focused on how he actually creates his systems. He literally just, he uses a simple convert kit uh, for his email. Um, he loves the simplicity of it. And he, all he does is writes one email that goes out every two weeks that, that gives a little productivity tip here and there. Doesn't sell anything, doesn't do anything fancy. It's probably like maybe three paragraphs of, of a, just a really nice productivity tip. And he does that and he has about two years worth. He just every week, every week or every two weeks, he writes another one, adds it to the campaign. Another one adds it to the campaign. Uh, that guy, he went from, he went from having very little engagement with, in, in, with his readers to having just a tremendous, like he has, as soon as he puts out a book, it's just like, boom, number one productivity done. Um, and we've kind of done that with ours as well, where, um, I'll have a little signature at the bottom of our, uh, of, of the thing saying, Hey, if you want to schedule a discovery call, if you want to, uh, if you know anybody, if you want to refer, it's just a little signature. And then I'll just send a little tip. Um, I don't know if you guys can, you guys can see here on that wall over there, that wall over there is 52 weeks worth of just very simple systems tips. Something that I can hammer out real quick. I put them every time I feel like doing one, which I don't feel like doing them most of the time. Um, I'll just pop it in there. It goes into active campaign. And and so now they get, uh, we get hit and it, and it works. It actually, um, a lot of people uh, from the data we get, it's around six to seven, six to seven weeks. People finally make the decision to do the discovery call mm. uh, kind of on average. So, so you're, you're sort of thinking follow up in terms of having, yeah, even just auto responder I, a drip or, or whatever you want to call it, but it's literally the easiest way is, is email. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I think is definitely in, it, it should be part of any follow up process. I think that the challenges and what I like about what you've said there is that most people think, oh my God, I've got to write this massive bloody email sequence and what am I going to say and all the rest of it. But actually some of the most common questions you can answer, and, and I'm sure you get a lot of them over time, you could just put that into some form of sequence and have that as your drip and, you know, that little signature at the bottom, you know, if you want to take your next step, here's some of the ways, we, you know, that's the super signature, isn't it? Dean Jackson type thing. Um, yeah, it's a, it, it's a, a simple yet effective way of doing it. So Matt, what do you think about follow-up? What, when it, when it comes to 
thinking about the best way to follow. And, and obviously there are different levels because if somebody has opted in yeah. to receive something, that's different to someone that you've had a conversation with. And we don't know, obviously, with the, where the context of this lies. But yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. We don't know what the market is, but I think that's also the the main thing you have to decide first. Because a lot of my clients work in consumer facing industries where the only way they're going to get business is you freaking track them down, right? <laughs> Speed the lead, and you hit them on every device that's in the home, and geofencing, and you know what I'm saying like they're they're going straight to consumers. Um, you know, one out of every hundred person they talk to is ready to do anything in the next three months. So it's, it's quantity in, quantity out. Um, if you're in more of the spaces where Adam, you and I operate, Dean, you and I are probably very much in the same space and Byron, I'd imagine you are too. We're, we're in more of a relationship space. You know, we have, we have reputations that are incredibly important because the spaces we operate are incredibly small and well-connected. You know, when I go to an event, I mean, even, even events that cross different industries, I'll see people I know and the people at the top of all the industries I work in all know each other. They've all been on the same podcast, like all this stuff. I can't screw up period. And I can't follow up with that turn and burn approach. So I thought a lot about this and here's the conclusion that I came to. The most valuable thing I can typically do for someone that I run across, if they're a prospect or not, is introduce them to someone. And so I started systematizing that process of how do I continually, actively keep people in mind and look for opportunities to introduce them and, and consistently like pay extra attention to what I would call my top 150 to make sure I'm continually bringing value to them. So Adam, you've experienced this. Like I, I keep yeah. an eye out for people to introduce you to that I think would be good mm-hmm. guests. And also just people that I think you could know that I think might lead to things that would be down the road good for your business. Um, that's what I do for the top 150. And so I have those people literally in a Trello board and I'm tracking, did I introduce them? Did I send them a thank you card through send out cards? I have a little system with my executive assistant to where, you know, if we have the previous people that were on the calendar for the previous day, she messages me and says, Hey, who would you like to send a thank you message to? And I literally vox her a voice message. She goes into the system and sends them a thank you card that looks handwritten from me, but it's my personal message that I dictated to her. So we have these systems in place. Um, but as systematic as I am and as well-intentioned as I am, I had to put it into a Trello board with other people to support me. Otherwise it would not get done. And I think we, we do way too much of this. I need to, well, I just should, I should have, could have, would have. And we put this pressure on ourselves to just change who we are. Stop trying to change who you are and build a system around you that does most of the work for you. And I think that's the answer for the vast majority of people. And I think one of the key things is having a system like that. And it's interesting because I've actually done something similar, um, but in Asana. So, you know, it doesn't matter about the tool, Trello, Asana, whatever you want to use. And it's something similar, which is on a 30 day loop. So each day, three people come up that I need to sort of either reach out or just check in with or follow up with or whatever it may well be. Now, these could be potential clients, past clients, podcast guests, future guests, like whatever it is. But it's just, right, you have not had any individual contact with this person in the last 30 days. Do something. <laughs> and, you know, in, in there, there are sort of like some of the things that I can do. It could just be a, a quick message. It could be a, you know, hey, I found this and thought, you know, it would be helpful, whatever it looks like. Sometimes it is just literally, hey, what's up? <laughs> if, you, if you have that kind of, yeah. you know, thing that's going on. But it's just those little drips and that reminder. Mm-hmm. And each time that if I happen to have a, a personal um, contact with them before the 30 days, I just quickly go in, mark it, and then it resets the clock. But it just keeps that sort of rolling 
on and and that is not automated and you know systems are great but they don't always they're not always automated and i think that's the fallacy when it comes to marketing automation i think there's a there's a whole thing around automation that ultimately it a lot of people think it's a panacea mm. to selling everything and and ultimately we all have this uh, a lot of people i think marketing automation and sales automation has been built on the fear that people have of selling <laughs> that's for me that's that's the way that's the only reason i automate stuff so like when absolutely when uh matt got his little coconut spray because that's another thing that i do for follow-up that mm. is complicated uh so i didn't want to explain it here uh, maybe on another episode but uh it's because I'm afraid I'm, I'm introvert. So uh, that's why if, if I have a bunch of emails going out, I don't see them going out. I don't don't feel it. It just boom goes out, you know? Yeah. At the same time, at some point we all are going to need to have a conversation. So what can you do in terms of follow-up to create or reignite a conversation? And I know we're sort of getting to times of bar. I want to get your thoughts on this around maybe the mindset of, you know, what, what we just discussed there around maybe the fear of, follow-up or the fear of sale or the, not wanting to be a pest have you seen that exist in people's minds and, and how do you help them think about it yeah all of the time like it's such an interesting thing there's a lot of people who don't want to follow up there's that fear of rejection in there like i'll speak to clients all the time who know they need to pick up the phone because that's how they generate leads they convert sales whatever it may be but they avoid it because there's something deep down that's really sabotaging them it's that, oh, I'm going to get rejected. The person's going to say no. They build up the story in their head. Whereas the reality is people are busy. People have got things going on in their life. They might not be thinking about your product or service right now. And I would even flip it a different perspective of you not following up is actually doing them a disservice. Because if you're amazing at what you do and your product or whatever it is is going to change their life, you have a duty to that person to really put yourself out there and give them the best possible experience of seeing of why they want to do it. Going back to the question, though, kind of what I took away from it and one of my bigger understandings was this person doesn't have a system in place to track it because if they're getting all these leads in, but they're letting them go cold, building on what you said, really sit down on a fundamental level and think about how do you need to structure it is whether it's a case of, okay, I've had this conversation, I need to set a reminder for myself in seven days to follow up with them, or building it out in, there's so many different pieces of software, or you could even do it in notes or an Excel spreadsheet, have something in place where you can monitor, these are all of my leads, this is when I last spoke to them, this is when I'm next going to speak to them. Look at every day and keep on top of it. So yeah, I would really be thinking of what's the mindset issue stopping someone doing it, and then do they have the right system in place to keep it top of mind so they don't forget about it? Which for me, it's very much sounds like that's the second part is from the question what the person is missing of really figuring out how can they keep top of mind of what they need to do and the action to take off the back of it. And I think that comes down to the, the context that's missing ever so slightly. But if they don't have a system to follow up, are they generating leads and having people, you know, opt in and all that kind of thing? And do they need that drip sequence or are they more of the, we, we generate, um, I wouldn't call them a lead. They're more of a prospect or something like that through a referral or a conversation or, or, or something like that. So that is a different follow-up process. So you have to, first of all, know where you are and what type of follow-up system you're wanting to create. But either or, the whole point of it is keeping top of mind. 
And maybe a simple thing that you can do is everyone that you sort of um, come into contact with or whatever, you make sure you connect with them on LinkedIn. Even if they are you know, somebody that comes in and opts in for something, you can find them and go and connect with them on LinkedIn. That's another touch point. And they'll see content that you put in or, or if they're Facebook, if it's more that that side of thing and that channel, but you know, business to business tends to be LinkedIn. There's certain things that you can do there. So I want to try and keep to time as close as possible. So first of all, thank you ever so much for your input. It's been, uh, it's been very valuable. So it's a lot of stuff that's come up that I didn't necessarily think of. So thank you ever so much. What I want to make sure is that people get a chance to uh, find out a little bit more about you. So, um, so Matt, um, pursuingresults.com, that's the website and, um, the podcast is there. What's, what should people expect to find when they, when they go there? Well, pursuingresults.com is for the podcast production service. So if you want to become microfamous and you're in the coaching consulting space, go for it. Uh, you can also check out the microfamous podcast. And that's where I talk about marketing for introverts specifically. Awesome. And uh, Dean, I put freedom of five minutes because that was a night, but it's also prosulum.com. Yeah. So P-R-O-S-U-L-M.com. Yeah. P-R-O-S-U-L-U-M.com. Um, but freedom in five minutes, it, uh, it generally will bring you right to pro Sulem at some point anyway. So it's all, it's all good. Basically um, there's a masterclass there that actually teaches you the entire system to, um, to hire. So if you were to hire a, a virtual assistant or somebody here in the States or wherever you're at right now, um, the, it teaches you the exact system that we use, that we use um, for creating the five minute documents from video. Um, and so uh, you can take it, use it, whatever, or you can go to pro Sulem and actually have it done for you. So um, awesome. And, uh, Byron, um, byronmorrison.com and the book's coming out. So is that going to be sort of, uh, there as well? What, what can people say? Yeah, that's right. The book's coming out next Tuesday. So that's going to be obviously promoted on the website. And then the easiest place to really follow what I'm doing is LinkedIn and then also Facebook where I do daily videos, posts and everything else on how to really be a more effective leader and CEO. Awesome. So, um, yeah, if you're listening in the future, I will put all of those links in the show notes. And uh, if you're watching the replay, um, I will also include them underneath this. But it is bang on the hour and I am going to shut up and say thank you very much. I'm just happy that we kept the time. But thank you ever so much, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure to, uh, to have you here. And I hope that everybody that has um, sent in the challenges has got some incredible value. They must because it was brilliant. So anyway, guys, thank you ever so much. Speak to you soon. So that's it for this episode. I hope you found it valuable. I hope you got some great ideas that you can take away and apply to your business to help you grow. If you did, please share it with somebody else that might also find this valuable because they will thank you for it. Also, to let you know that I have a podcast gift page where I put a lot of resources that I love to share with my listeners. You can find the links to join the Facebook community there and you can get my book, the Conversational Relationship Marketing and the audiobook version all for free, plus a number of other resources I'll be adding over time on that page. So make sure you head there to thinklikeafish.co.uk forward slash podcast gift and you can help yourself to the things that make most sense to you. And if you have enjoyed the show, please make sure you're subscribed. You'll get updated as the new episodes come out. And finally, last favor, please consider giving the show your honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one. They mean the world for me. I love hearing from my listeners and it does help others find the show as well. So if you want to go and do that, I'd really appreciate it. Until next time, have an awesome day and we'll speak soon.